Hi, beautifully perfect souls. This is Salunas Nicole Bay. I am super excited to come to you in this medium. Um, I'm recording with Trish Culpepper, who is uh, one of the people that uh, is on this journey with me as someone who's training as a somatic coach. Um, Trish comes from a background of doing lots of things around human development, human resources. But beyond that, she's, for as long as uh, I've known her, and then even further back than that, uh, has been someone who has been really grounded in the realm of spirit. So really excited to jump into this conversation with her and have you join us with your listening ears with the segment that I call In Your Ear. Um, Trish, I just wanted to say, did I miss anything in terms of like introducing you? I don't want to uh, miss any piece that uh, our listeners should know about. No, I think you did a pretty good job. Um, I think probably the piece that I identify with is the most is someone who's on the journey continues to be on the journey. So if I had to describe myself, um, I'd probably say just another spirit that is constantly evolving and currently obsessed with the infinite and the possibilities. Awesome. So one of the things that uh, Trish and I uh, regularly connect on is this concept of ease and easiness. Um, and so, you know, we just wanted to connect and talk further about what gets in the way of that. Like, how do we make, how do we step out of places in that way? Well, how does life get difficult? Just a little bit of curiosity there. Um, I know that even as I have been on this journey, I've not made things always easy for myself, right? And sometimes for me, it really is the space of when I'm not acting from the truest part of my person, right? When I'm not acting from my heart or I'm not setting really good boundaries is the other part of it. Um, so I want to like go deeper and explore this concept uh, with my partner and friend, um, Trish Culpepper. So Trish, what do you, what do you say to that? Um, I think it's definitely loaded um, and there's different time periods where I feel more ease and less ease. If I have to look at it, um, we start out with um, this place where at some point we're going to be trying to find ease and ease is going to look different, right? Um, mm -hmm. If I think about us being born and all the things that are laid on us, be it this name Trish and the possibilities that were set for Trish. Um, at some point in my life, those were things that I wanted to break out of. And so in the fighting and the resisting it and trying to find a place for myself, there was, wasn't a lot of ease in that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then finally getting to a point, early 20s, recognizing that, oh wait, ease is quite accessible. Mm. And it wasn't until that point where it was just like, the constant inquiry around um, not even having the words to say ease, mm -hmm. but how can I just be living more effortlessly? So maybe the question around ease or even the topic of ease <clears throat> started out differently, like just wanting to live, like you said, from a place of center 
Mm-hmm. Just getting acquainted with, wait, what is my center? Mm-hmm. I have all these wait, layers. Pause for a second. Yeah. You said that you got there in your 20s. You were asking yeah. the question in your 20s. So... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I was asking the question, but I was kind of like, I don't know. But it is mine. Doing that, I was. Ooh, I had got. I got married at twenty-one. I was divorced like a year later, and then I was like, I would say definitely more wild child during that time. So, like, what was the thing that had you even? be inquisitive like and I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I think I had moved so far even though I was reading things like Celestine Prophecy and Conversations with God and I had all of those things underneath the work that I was doing internally I still externally like I don't know that I was asking any of those questions so what moved you there? I mean, quite honestly, I felt like I came into this world feeling a chasm between what is and what's supposed to be. I mean, I I grew up born and raised baptized Catholic. I went to Catholic school throughout until high I completed high school. That was Catholic school. College was the first time that I really didn't have that framework. And I just remember being inside of classes um, or just getting the Catholic teaching and it not, not resonating with me. Some parts of it, some parts of it absolutely resonating with me and me knowing to take, oh, this is what works for me and this doesn't want to work. This doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the chasm of the question definitely was apparent from very early on. Mm-hmm. And then the struggle was, okay, where do I belong in this? Um, and then certainly <laughs> born and raised Catholic, there was going to be guilt and shame, right? Unless I am serving as sexually repressed, I'm not Catholic enough, right? So well, be, going through the you don't have to be Catholic to do, to have guilt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like even as a black woman in in my household, there was like definitely levels of shame around sexuality or um, choosing something that was different than what your family wanted for you. Right? There was always that pressure. Yeah. So I think, so I think that's the rub, right? Like that's, that's the thing that's saying that's like, was pushing me to say, okay, well, I don't know if this feels real for me, what's real for me. And then really in the twenties get into a place where, oh no, I'm going to live my truth. Like, I'm I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get to it, but just having that feeling of enough is enough, you know? And I think it took the death of someone really close to me to, to just really kind of go into this place of, all right, um, if I can't trust certain things, if certain things are going to be uncertain, mm-hmm. then here's the, here's the time where I could make a disorder of everything. My life is so unstable right now. If I quit this job, move to the Caribbean and kind of try and figure out what my own terms look like, mm-hmm. um, this is the space to do this. This is the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah yeah very disruptive not a lot of ease to it but the moments where there was ease i was beginning to figure out oh ease feels like or ease is granted when i make a decision based on how i'm feeling and what it's representing for me right um yeah there's some disruption to it but guess what i sleep well at night yeah and so quality of sleep took on something different 
Mm-hmm. How did uh, your friends and family handle all of that? So you moved to, like, so where in the Caribbean did you move to? I moved to Antigua and I lived there for two years. And up until that point, anytime I went to Antigua, um, it was the party girl going because I was leaving the South Bronx where it was like, okay, you have curfew, it's not safe. So once I got to Antigua, it was like switched on to the other person. And so the friendships that I had developed was around the party girl, right? So it was around, hey, you want to have fun? Call Trish. Oh, you want to find Trish? She's at the club. Uh, She has a rum and coke in her hand and she has a, a pack of Benson and Hedges. And so that was how they knew me. So then when I moved there, yes, the first six months I was inebriated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but what then was I was really, um, anything with alcohol in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything with alcohol. Um, but I mean, but then I was like, at the same time, I also had started meditating and really spending time in repose. And like I was changing. And mm-hmm. so for some people, they were like, no, like, where's the party girl? Like, that's what I'm looking for. And then there were times where I needed space from people and people were offended by that. So I lost and ended um, several friendships during that period. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made new ones. Mm-hmm. And I started to become really discerning about which friendships um, supported me becoming whatever, whoever I was becoming. Mm-hmm. If there were friendships that felt like they had gates around it, where I couldn't really expand or just be who I was at that moment, be a sad, happy, whatever, mm-hmm. um, those, I didn't spend too much time with those people. But I mean, the reality hit that a lot of people enjoyed the party, Trish. and wasn't really that interested in the um, kind of to herself, introspective mm-hmm. Trish at all. Can you talk a little bit about what that gap was? Like, cause I know that, um, I feel like I've gone through moments of that, that's been harder to sustain because there is such a, a connection or a need for connection. And so, um, folks who are listening, I just want to say that I'm grounding this in that every human person needs safety, dignity, and belonging and how we tend to organize ourselves to get that looks different, um, and so when I, go, when I would go through those moments of introspection, like my, the hardest thing for me to do was to not have connection, right? Like I really, so I would sometimes sacrifice things that um, were around my dignity or around my values and how I wanted to live or express my life in order to have connection. So... Could you talk a little bit more about what that gap looked like for you and how you were able to gain one or all three of those, those pieces? Yeah. I mean, just listen to what you were saying about, um, I guess your gap, like if something was missing for you, so this connection was going to fill it or you needed this connection. Sometimes that puts you in a place of compromising. Right. Okay. So, The gap for me, and again, it seems so, um, like I can't, I don't know when I didn't have this, this yearning for feeling possibility, 
um, knowing that I'm just so much feeling more expansion than what I was living. And it just really made me curious where I was more concerned about diving into all the places that people said weren't safe or maybe were woo-woo, right? They were too far to kind of. Um, and so when I was party girl in terms of connection, um, and that was a great time, mm-hmm. I was, there was also rebellion in that, right? There was also trying to find freedom in that, freedom that I didn't have when I was home in the South Bronx. Mm -hmm. Um, There was running away in that, running away from this challenging relationship with my father and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out who am I as girl, like Mm -hmm. who am I as the girl who doesn't necessarily have close relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in that the gap was around rebelling and um, moving away from stuff Mm -hmm. versus looking for stuff. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking. Um, And then moving into the other part of it, it was just wanting to become or find out more about what I feel in there, but don't necessarily have a support system to kind of help bring it out. Mm-hmm. So what that meant was that a lot of this was going to be done alone because no one, to your point, no one else at my age gave a shit. They were either looking to be married, find a husband, have the perfect body, you know, and, you know, or be at the club all the time, which I think probably is age appropriate. But right. by then, I mean, so much I started as teenager that by the time I got, I was, I was bored with it already. I was just like, there must be more. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, you, I mean, that's a good point that you make in terms of the different places this need for ease can come from. Mm-hmm. Um, the different places, the different types of rubs that could kind of push you in the direction of saying, no, I want more of exhaling. I want more deep breaths. I know for me, it's always been um, my, I, I can recall having moments of thinking about the word achieve, right? And mm. inside of the word achieve was work, you know? The, the lessons that I grew up hearing and having around me was work three times harder, right? You're a black female in the world, just, you, you gotta do it three times, you gotta do three times more just to be equal, right? Um, that ease or easy was synonymous with lazy, right? And mm. that's the worst thing that you can be called. Yeah, I don't <laughs> that like you that can be called lazy. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, naps are really important, you know? But back oh, then, yeah. like, if you were taking a nap, like, what do you mean you're taking a nap? What do you mean you're not doing that right now? Like, get up and do da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So that whole doing body became my personality, right? I was like, let me strive, let me achieve, let me do. I actually did not value rest in the way that I know it to be redemptive now right or yeah um that space of creativity now and no one around me could even describe that to me it took a lot of like bumping my head up against things lots of like 
oh goodness, I think about the life explosions of like health impacts or being around folks who, you know, were doing all kinds of things in order to keep their energy levels up, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, everything from like, and not, and let me just tell you, compared to most of the people I knew, I was pretty vanilla, right? <laughs> but I saw like, <laughs> like the fact that I would would drink a martini and you know smoke a cigar with these like folks these these uh, goodness Wall Street folks who had money and all this other stuff and how puffed up that made me feel like I was just like wow like the the amount of internal damage I was just doing yeah. in order to belong or to achieve which. Um, was my central word inside that doing body yeah yeah I just can't (laughs) I don't want to go back to that I'm good yeah yeah I mean that's interesting because I'd probably say because life was divided between Antigua even growing up the Caribbean Uh and the Bronx Mm -hmm. I was kind of in between those worlds Mm -hmm. but there was one that I definitely gravitated to and it was like yeah, this having to work hard shit. <laughs> because I saw people who had and who built and who did well, and it didn't look like efforting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, what my blackness represented in Antigua versus what it represents in the South Bronx and then going to a small all-girls Catholic school in Manhattan, which was at the time predominantly white. Mm-hmm. Those were different feelings. So I was always trying to just, um, with the confusion of both of those, I was just always trying to figure out who's Trish, you know, like what does Trish look like? Like mm-hmm. how should, you know, how does Trish want to be living? And my way of doing that was feeling into it. Like what mm-hmm. feels right, what doesn't feel right. Um, there were things and assumptions and beliefs and stereotypes that were definitely placed on me. But I don't know. What, I just, what, were those, what were those beliefs that um, were Well, I mean, for, for one, I mean, I'm 5'2", I'm fair-skinned. I grew up with long hair. Long hair, you wet it, it gets curly. And so inside of that, just within my own community, there were assumptions, oh, she's conceited, she's stuck up, you know, Um but when I went to Antigua, where everything looks very mixed up already, um, and where you have a Black person running a country, you just don't have some of the issues or concerns that you experience in America. Yeah. Um, and so, at the same time, the fact that I was American, I was growing up in the South Bronx, didn't always make me fit in in Antigua, right? Um, right. So my thing was either place I didn't fit in. So I need to figure out who I was going to be where these two things weren't going to lock me up. Right. Cause that was just too much trying to. So I think there were moments where I was just like, F you, F you, F you, F you away. <laughs> <laughs> so the connection piece probably yeah. became more of an, uh, the realization that, Hey, this is important. Yeah. Really now probably is where I'm really feeling the impact of that. Like in, in a way of like, I want it, right? Even when it's uncomfortable for me. But 
the body is set up in a way where it's like, you strike me wrong, go away. You know, so trying to have connection with that so deeply woven in me um, makes it challenging sometimes. I hear that. There's a, one of the things that I um, really do appreciate about you is like how you come back to center, how you can see that and challenge yourself in it. 20 plus years of meditation. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you learn to meditate? So that's the part that makes me laugh a bit when people say, because I didn't know about techniques. I didn't know any of that until after I came back to America from Antigua. Um, And it still wasn't even until several years later when I learned Transcendental Meditation in 2009 that I really understood there were techniques. Um, Mm -hmm. At the time, I think I started 1996, I started meditating, Christmas 1996, around that time period. And... um, this real you were far ahead of everyone else if you were doing it and at least for folks that i i knew yeah no i i yeah no because when i was eight my sister had this book Uh um somewhere in her room and that was me i'd be snooping around or whatever it might have been a magazine even and there was this little article about meditation Mm -hmm. and i think that's where the seed got planted where i was like oh but then i i like never thought about it again or so she also had in her room something about Scientology, the first book that the guy had, Dynamics or whatever. Yeah. And I remember reading the book a little bit and like really knowing, oh, that shit ain't for me. Um, but the how meditation. Did, how, did that, how did that gel? Like, so. It didn't. My sister, so my sister um, lived with chronic illness. Uh-huh. And I think when you have that, where it is a question of life or death, on many occasions, it just right. makes you more curious. So I think in her, in her own journey, she was always exploring. So she had a wealth of stuff in her room and I'd go snooping through everything. Got it. And so that's how I first understood around meditation. Fast forward several years later, Oprah Winfrey had Deepak Chopra on her show. Yeah. And I think I was in high school at the time and he moved me. He just moved me. But then again, I kind of, put that on the back burner. Uh-huh. And then when I was living in Antigua, that same Christmas, no, it wasn't that Christmas. Um, maybe it was a following Christmas. Um, I was doing what I understood to be meditating on the beach. And mm-hmm. this gentleman came by and disturbed me and said, where are you trying to go? And I was a little bit annoyed because mm-hmm. I was in my meditation and this guy was like waking me up to kind of ask me this dumb question. <laughs> and so I was just like, I looked up at him and I said, I didn't realize I was, I need to be trying to go anywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we struck up a conversation. Actually, you know, so I, I'm, I'm just going to like land that for everyone there that you had the natural intuitive nature to go. I didn't know I needed to go anywhere. Right. I think that there's. No, because I, I, I had a studio apartment and some, I was like, okay, I, what was resonating for me was be still and know that I am God. Mm, mm -hmm. And it was like, it kept on coming up, coming up, coming up. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and be quiet just for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And this, it kept on coming up, be still, know that I'm God. So I would just try and be still. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then 
five minutes went into eight minutes, went into 10 minutes. And really what was, I was like, this isn't a struggle. This isn't hard. In fact, my body wants this. Mm-hmm. And so on the weekend, like right after I got out of work on the Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be at the beach. And when I would sit on that sand, mm-hmm. it's like it was pulling me to the core. Mm-hmm. And I would just settle into this silence. And the body just wanted that. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed a teacher to get me there. Like I feel like the body just wanted that rest, that restoration, that expansiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of trying to understand that and what might have been going on for me, I probably better understood it after I learned transcendental meditation 10 years or so, or more than 10 years later in 2009, where now they were giving me language for some of the things I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, or why it might have come so easy and all the disruption it created for me. Yeah. So is the, was there ever a point that you felt in conflict with your Catholic rearing and meditation or? No. Oh, no. But I remember being at a Deepak Chopra um, retreat uh-huh. and I remember an African-American woman getting up and saying to Deepak and she she was spicy about it, you know. Mm-hmm. What about what this means for the church and us church people? Mm-hmm. And she asked Deepak that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what his response is because to me, one has nothing to do with the other. Meditation is a practice. In mm-hmm. fact, I would say that it helps you and it could further you in your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember just like sitting there like, hmm, like really trying to, understand and take in what conflict it was bringing up for her. Mm -hmm. Um, I had already had a position on religion, right? Um, And so I was just trying to understand where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because here I was another black woman, and I didn't see the relationship. Right. So what was your position on religion? You know, I'm not a religious person. There's bits and pieces of multiple religions that resonate with me that I'll, like, I, I take and I pull from. I have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, but for me, religion really is the management of God. And God in itself, G-O-D, is too small to explain the expansive and explosiveness that I experience and that I pull from. I love and that. And so, thank you. So, so religion... I can probably point to more times that religion has been a block to the infinite versus, um, and it makes things really small, you know, um, that, hey, I can, sit in a, I can sit in a church ceremony. I could certainly do that. There's times where I'd like to be together with other people and just feel this desire for something bigger, stronger faith. Um, but even in Catholic school, this whole thought around you must confess your sins. I was like, I'm telling God every day all the crooked stuff I'm doing. Like, <laughs> why, why do I have to tell the priest that too? Like this whole middleman concept, that was even really hard for me to, to wrap my head around. Not even my head, like I just didn't feel right to me. Um, especially if it was a brother that, you know, if it, maybe it was like if it was a brother that I was close to, because we, we were always confessing to one of the priests, and, and particularly like there was Father Donald. And so 
it would feel really awkward for me. Like, why am I going to tell this man what I did? I don't even like him. You know, so the feeling piece of it was always so big for me and just the feeling like there's some connection. And so why am I going to, I have a direct line to Jesus Christ. I have a direct line to, let's call it God. What's the middleman for? So religion for me, listen, I respect people have it. I respect how important it is for them. Um, I always kind of noticed the, like it was just trying to kind of contain, manage. And then as I got older, and even when I lived in Antigua, um, where it mattered what religion you are Mm -hmm. and what religion the more wealthy people seem to be, it just seemed so political for me. Mm. And so my, my thing is I, that's great. That's for some people. I get it. It's definitely not for me. Mm-hmm. How did your family take that? You know, my mother and father, um, I think they were rule breakers in their own rights, like with their own families. And they came from really big families. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at some point they kind of realized um, we're going to kind of have to loosen the reins because the more we tighten it, the more crazy this one gets <laughs> or the more it's going to compromise their relationship or maybe it was fear out of, it's going to drive me to be more wacky than ever. Um, but at some point they just, or maybe they were just tired because I was the baby. A lot of it, I think they were just tired. Um, so in retrospect, looking at it now, they probably gave me more space to kind of figure out Trish than at the time I felt like they were giving me. But they couldn't be hypocrites. You know, my mom would be like, you guys have to go to church every Sunday, but she wasn't accompanying us every Sunday. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So at some point I was like, we can't be hypocrites, you know. Right, I hear hear that. What about your family? Oh, goodness. Um, It was not a favorable move for for my, (laughs) my family. Um, I think for, for them, the biggest thing um, to wrap their minds and hearts around was when I came out as bisexual. And so even that, that journey was outside of what they considered cool or okay with in terms of their religious beliefs and practices. Um, so when it came to, you know, my adoption of something outside of being identified as Christian, I don't think that that shocked them at all. <laughs> I don't actually yeah. thought, like they were just like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm the weird one. So there was really, that was less of a struggle for me. Now that's interesting. Cause you were, were the word, my adoption of something different. Um, what do you mean your adoption? So my, uh, um, I, I moved, so when I was a young, a young girl, I did have a deep relationship with what, um, what I would call Jesus. And you would find me regularly reading, um, anything between myth or, uh, or uh, biblical stories, right? It was just, I had a thirst for knowledge in that way. My parents splitting 
and all of the trauma inside of their relationship threw me and then my separation from them threw me into lots of questions, right? Because I prayed a lot mm-hmm. um, and I felt really wounded in my relationship with what or how I was told that God works. So during my teen years, I identified as agnostic. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if there's, I was like, I was just in question and I that was the place that I began to like start to read new material. And then there was a, um, a high school classmate who was Wiccan. And I was, and so I was like, Oh, that's curious. And then um, I was like, well, you know, maybe there is something in nature that's bigger than me. And maybe if I connect to that, that that will be the piece that I'm looking for. Um. So for a while, I would call myself Wiccan because I was like, I don't know, I don't know where I am um, with this. Um, and I didn't have these conversations really at home because I knew that that wasn't welcome. Like I was raised to be um, Christian, like my, my uncles are ministers. Um, I come from a lot of ministers in a family. So the idea that I was having these questions isn't something that I was re- ready to come home in and talk about, right? In addition to that, actually coming out was the other piece. And I thought that was more pertinent and important to do, especially when I knew uh, some of my younger um, relatives were gonna have to come out after me. And I really wanted them to have safe safe space to do so. Um, So the thing that I did honor um, inside my family is that as one of the elder kids, it was my job to go first. It's my job to pave some of the way. So my, when I say my adoption of something new, it's more of a journey. It was more of a, um, an unfolding, right? And I still feel like I'm in an unfolding space of discovery that will probably not stop until my life stops. Right. So it's not just to make clear, it's not an adoption of being bisexual. It's an adoption of being in self-exploration. Um, so I think my sexuality isn't um, anything that I've adopted. I think my soul is what it is. Yeah. And um, who I am at the core of me connects with people soulfully, um, who I've been attracted to and connected to has always been something more than what was on the physical space. So uh, yeah, that's the, I hope that that answers the question (laughs) more more directly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wanted to make that clear um, with regards to the words we're using and what they're pertaining to and the adoption piece wasn't, Oh, I'm adopting this, this type of sexuality as Mm -hmm. if it's something that you just, Oh, new religion. Let me try this on. You know, oh, new thing. That's not what you were referring to. Mm -mm, Not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, The piece that I really appreciate is, um, and I wish there was more space for, is this connecting with people on a deeper level that Mm -hmm. bypasses gender, race, all these, like those are obviously there, but the ability and the space to 
and the welcoming of that connection can happen on very deep levels mm-hmm. where these things are, oh, you happen to be a girl. Okay. Oh, you happen to be a boy. Like where we're connecting, it's not on what you're packing in your pants, right? Well, here's what's interesting. I'm now getting more to a space that like those connections don't always have to be romantic. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a new lesson. I'm like, oh, you know, that thing that I feel that drawing, that connectedness doesn't always mean like, oh, we're in the same bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it could, it, like the, the soulful connection, could, it could be another journey. Um, and that's an interesting I'm in that space now where it's... Um, nice. I'd be exhausted if I had to, to be sexually involved with all the people I connect with. I'd be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what your 20s were meant for. <laughs> <laughs> then I shortchanged myself. <laughs> you, you sure did, because I had a good time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've said that. I'm like, in retrospect, she would uh-huh. be freer. <laughs> Oh, when I think about all of the uh, experiences I had in my 20s, I real 20s. Um, yeah, I they're they're so useful now, um, and I don't regret them. Uh, like the the ability to have traveled and danced and been on like a stage, um, to watch other people find devotion in things that were outside of a, the, the way that we define devotion, right? But to connect to the art, connect to this. And I also think that art is, being a, is an active practice of prayer, honestly. Um, so when you see someone inside of that discipline really moving through it and, and then the exaltation that happens when you're doing, like that upliftment that happens, um, is such a wonderful thing to watch in action. Um, like I, there, which is why I can always weep when something's done with that in, sort of embodiment. Um, the, the quiet moments that I had uh, in New York City, <laughs> uh, like sometimes in the middle of the night when um, you're walking down a street and the only thing that's there are the stars. And that's probably the only time you can actually see them, as you know. <laughs> yeah. When it's like uh, somewhere around like three or four in the morning. Um, as I say this, I can, uh, I think about my uncle who used to get really upset with me, like, why are you out at that time of night? But it was actually the time when I felt the holiest. Like things were still enough that I I could connect in that way. See, so you just proved what I was saying about meditation. The body wants the silence. The body wants the stillness. Nobody needed to teach you that. Mm. That was already there. Mm -hmm. That's true. I never thought about it that way. Uh, Yeah, never thought about it that way. I I was always journeying for it in some place. So like my, my time in Costa Rica, my months in Hawaii, like all of those were about like putting myself in um, these external circumstances when it really is just finding that moment of stillness and, and dropping into self, into my larger self. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this, this, this examination of ease, mm -hmm. uh, there's just so many components of it. And I would probably, I would guess that we've had those moments and those moments have been accessible. Mm -hmm. But when it's layered with how it should look, how it should feel, how you should be, you know, and I, for as long as I've known me, I've been in cahoots with spirit. I've been spiritual. Mm -hmm. And um, from the second that I let people know that I meditate, they then get stunned when I drop an F-bomb. And I'm like... <laughs> well, that doesn't stun me. I've actually, I'm like, that's the Bronx girl. And that person makes me laugh a lot. But it makes me laugh when you do that in conjunction with spirit. Because there have been plenty of times, and so listeners, uh, Trish and I have lots of regular conversations. Um, but one of the things that like had what one of the things that had me laugh the hardest is when she tried to explain the concept of more than seven chakras, and she said it in her Bronx girl sort of <laughs> energy. I was in laughter for three days, but it was it was such a beautiful expression. I love when you marry those two things. I mean, I can't. Um... I think the thing that spirituality does allow that maybe religion doesn't allow always mm -hmm. is for you to be as is, be who you're going to be, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, like just be. Um, and so I think I lose ease when I am judging or when I'm putting on somebody else my thoughts around how they can do something, how they could be this way and vice versa when that's put on me um as us working as coaches and somatic coaches the gift that i want to give to my client and that i show up with the intention of is the space to just be whoever's going to show up today let me meet you where you're at no judgment on it um and let's just take it from there because it gets exhausting having to think of things in right or wrong black or white good or bad it's like, it's so much more space if I just kind of sit back and just let you be. And so if being means, yeah, you've meditated for 20 plus years, but you like to say, fuck, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm here for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that feels easy for me. Now trying to back up and sit crisscross applesauce and kind of talk quietly, you know, move okay, lightly. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Why do we all feel the need to do that? Like, where is that? I don't know. Like, I watched Russell Simmons on Oprah Winfrey. Uh -huh. He had the medalla around his neck. And I'm not critiquing Russell Simmons. Um, and he sat crisscross applesauce. And I wanted to get into the conversation uh -huh. But I was so uncomfortable, like trying to figure out how is he comfortable in that seat, crisscross applesauce, that I got distracted. Um, and I don't know, I just kind of got hung up on that. But I loved seeing, like, I think he had on a cap too, a baseball cap at the time. Mm -hmm. And I loved um, just the range of it. I was like, yeah, like, like, who am I to say, Russell Simmons, rap this, that, or whatever. Now, there's more controversy to him now, so mm -hmm. I might have 
brought even more judgment at the time had I like known or understood some of the things or hearing some of the things that I've heard now. Um, but I had to stop myself for a second because I was just like, come on, man, you know, you don't regularly sit crisscross applesauce. Like you're talking to Oprah and now you need to be crisscross applesauce. Like, please. When quite like he practices, you know, he practices yoga. Maybe he does. And so I that again, he does. It's, well, it's and that's, that's my point. Like that was exhausting. The time I was spending on trying to figure out right. why, you know, like, why don't I just let it be, you know? And it might be that, you know, you want to sit that way or whatever. It's in the assumption that a meditator, that's how they sit. Right. That's the right. assumption that a meditator doesn't drop the F-bombs. Right. Um, I had a body worker. Not it was a body work. I was doing, um, what is this other one? This painful one that kind of comes out of it. Rolfing. Rolfing. I had a person who was giving me rolfing. And she said, how is it possible you're a meditator and you're not flexible in your body? And I said, I didn't tell you I was a dancing meditator. I just told you I meditate. <laughs> like right. maybe if I was a dancer, maybe I would have had more range or whatever. Maybe not or whatever. Um, but that felt like an extra layer on me. Mm. Like, oh, did I do something wrong? You know. Well, that's really funny because I have a story about Russell. So shout out to Russell Simmons. I love you, dude. Um, I'm glad that you're healing uh, some of your relationships. But when I first met him, it was when I was working for the UN. And um, I had just started to use mala beads uh, for my meditation practice. And I used to get so concerned that I kept breaking them. Right. I was like, is that like I'm cursed? Like I would go through, is it cursed? Am I doing it wrong? What's wrong? And I actually asked Russell at an event that we're at. And he looked at me and he said, either you're praying hard or you're praying a lot. And neither one of those are wrong. So just relax. <laughs> like that just My whole body just was like, whoa, like, why am I holding this judgment on doing it? Yeah. Wrong? Like, how am I? How am I judging myself? Yeah. And if I'm judging myself in it, then I'm judging others. And therefore, there isn't grace. And how much freedom or ease do you have in bringing that judgment? And how many other things are you bringing that judgment to? Like, yeah. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the places that I'm continually working on myself in is going if I can't forgive myself, if I'm not kind to myself, if I'm not generous, then I can't bring that anyplace else. Like I can't be that with anyone else. And yeah. so starting with me, starting with like home base helps me extend out. And then I have more capacity for compassion and ease from that, from that space. And, you know, really landing in and this is a hard one for me i will tell you that doing it right is one of those things that i'm always wrestling with like it mm -hmm. is a constant like when people talk about the a demon or a battle that is it <laughs> that is my one of my bigger ones is like am i doing this right and letting go of the notion of rightness because right means what um it's an external judgment, mm. right? It's not, when I hear that word, instead of like, it, it is more connected to effort. Yeah. It is more connected to judgment. 
Yeah. It is less connected. It is, it's not, so I, it, it is more connected to control. It is far less connected to allowing. It is far less connected to ease. It is uh, far less connected to even feeling or sensation. Yeah. 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 For sure. I'm just sitting with that. <laughs> I'm saying it's, it's uh, all these things are a workout um, in only the best ways. Yeah. And the way that even as I'm sharing this, I can feel bits of my back loosen up and um, parts of my chest, like yeah. that tightness that happens around your heart or the, uh, your um, diaphragm just sort of drop away because it's like we're all growing and even knowing that that's the if because I'm naming it yes it's like yeah like I won't have it right by public opinion always um, but I will continue to listen to my soul, listen to my larger self, listen to that uh, divine spark. And I will feel it when I'm off, right? Like yeah. that, because yeah. and that's when like I grind my teeth or I, my shoulders get shrugged up or I withdraw. That's when I'm not living in my larger self. That's when I'm not living in ease. And so ease is not found in the question of, am I doing it right? So if you are asking the question, am I doing this right? There likely is not any ease. There's not any ease. And more than likely, I'm not listening to the larger piece or my, my, I'm not living in my value. I'm not living in my knowing. I'm not allowing. Yeah. So I think we have opened a, a door Mm. around more conversation around what could create ease and maybe the conversation isn't um, directly going to ease but all these other bits and parts that kind of make space and room for it so mm -hmm. I'd love to continue examining this <laughs> I would too so Be I an inquiry around it for sure fantastic um, so I would invite you to do this again. I would love if we uh, can pick this up maybe next Sunday. Sure. That'd be great. Um, and for our listeners, I hope that you'll join us also next Sunday uh, for this live conversation um, in your ear. Um, we hope to bring you some enlightenment, uh, some laughter, some joy, um, and some pieces to just walk with. How's that sound, Trish? That sounds great. We're, ju we're just trying to create some space for you to just be as you are and show up as you are and be on the journey with us. Fantastic. All right, beautiful, perfectly formed souls. Have a beautiful Sunday and we'll see you next week or we'll you'll hear us next week. Bye. Bye.